0: If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, good morning. Good morning. Did you guys enjoy getting together with the other location and service last Sunday? <laughs> half of you did. The other half, the other half I'm telling. I just want you to know I'm going to tell him you said that. Um, well, we're gonna we've we've had a we're in this series called Acts uh, on the Book of Acts, and we have taken a few week break from that, but we're gonna get back at it. If you're new with us, uh, we preach a couple different kinds of sermons. We sometimes we go through topics, and, and sometimes we go through a book of the Bible. And we started Acts at the very beginning of the year, and we're just gonna go to it until uh, we get through it. We'll take breaks here and there, uh, but we're um, we're gonna just go through it section by section, and. Uh, this morning we come to a very uh, pivotal passage uh, in the book of Acts Acts 6 is a pivot point there's a, a few pivots that happens one is the attention from the twelve and the and the you know the early group it shifts from them to other guys uh, like Philip like Stephen like Nicanor and a bunch of other guys that are pronounced and then and then then from there it goes to Saul and Paul and, and Barnabas and other guys so the shift there's a shift in, in focus. Uh, there, there's a shift uh, from Jerusalem only. We're still in Jerusalem right now. The church is just it's just one church, one city, and it's getting ready to shift to some other towns and cities and cultures. So that pivot's happening. Another pivot's happening. It's shifting from addition to multiplication, and there are just many other pivots that are happening. And there's a lot going on here. And so we're gonna we're gonna take a look at this section in two parts. We're gonna do part one today and part two uh, next Sunday. And, and one of the other pivot points that I, I forgot to mention is that this is like the first time like things weren't amazing, like it's you know this is there's some church um, failure here. Even until, like even good church have failures. They don't they there's challenges that they have to get through. I mean, you know we had a failure once. It was it was a long time ago, and um, you know we fixed it. And but you know maybe we'll have another failure one of these days. And so we want to take a look at this passage and say okay what can we learn from here? And so the first week this first week we're going to just and there are challenges that specifically came from growth, and so this week we want to look at the challenges from growth that are just purely about numbers, like how do you, how do you deal with the challenges that just have, have these numbers? And then the second challenge, we're going to talk about um, the challenges of unity, because uh, there's some things happening under the surface that we need to address, and so we'll get into things like how the church, how we should address complaints, people being overlooked, favoritism. I mean, it's going to be an amazing Mother's Day message. I mean, just like the ideal, like you want to bring your mom to that one. And so we're talking about complaints and feeling overlooked. You should come. And... Um, Anyway, so today we're going to talk about the growth challenges and about just from the the numeric sense. And this church absolutely just, it just was exploding. In verse 1 of of chapter 6, in fact, if you're new here, man, if you have your Bible open or your device or if it's written, you know, we're going to go through a few things It might help you if you just leave that open. Um, It says, and now in those days when the disciples, now if you don't have one of our Bibles, underline disciples right there. If you have one of ours, go ahead and do it. Who cares? But... when, when the disciples, that's an important word, were increasing in number. So they're just increasing. And in Bible history and Roman history uh, has some amazing things about this because they'll talk about how this once Jewish insignificant sect, I mean, this was a conversation with friends in a room. It, it went from that, and it exploded onto the scene to, to transform a city. And we'll read on in Acts, really, the, the known world. And it was transforming this town, this city of Jerusalem at the very least, there were 10,000 people in this church, but more likely upwards of 50,000 people. And there's only 100,000 people in Jerusalem. And and one historian from Yale, uh, no less, had this to say. Uh, He said, Never in so short a time has any other religious faith, or for that matter, any other set of ideas, religious, political, or economic, ever achieved so commanding a position in such an important culture without the aid of physical force or social or cultural prestige. So just as a bit of a side, I mean, so he's basically saying this thing exploded. That's all. But secondly, I mean, as a side note, I mean, this is kind of an apologetic for the authenticity of what was going on here. This was like... They did not have power. They did not have prestige. They didn't have influence. And yet, and yet, and yet, this thing really took off. And so the growing, the church was growing, and the needs of the church were overwhelming the current leadership structure of the church, and needs were, needs were going unmet. And uh, legitimate needs. We'll talk about more of those next week. But in order to deal with the challenge of growth, they had to establish some. They had some priorities here, and so I want to talk about some of the priorities they had as a multiplying movement. What are the priority, priorities of a multiplying movement? We learned that here. The first thing is to make disciples, right? So some other ones we'll talk about. The first one we talk about is making disciples. First of all, they're they're making disciples, which means there's growth. And this section is just again book ended with growth. And bookended with numbers, and it's all throughout the Bible. It's all throughout Acts, and for whatever reason, though, and this—I hope you know—this may be you. I don't know. Sometimes I feel this way though too, is that there is this resistance under the guise of being spiritual to numbers and growth. I don't know what that is. I mean, I don't know if it's just you know, I don't know. Just like there's like, oh, if it's if it's somehow growing, there's something wrong going on, and that could be true, but this—it's not necessarily true. The Bible, I want you to know, is obsessed with growth and numbers, not for numbers sake, but because they're, 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 we're talking about people here. So I mean, so you just think about the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Numbers. You say the word, it's not a dirty word. <laughs> numbers, right, okay. And then like you read through Acts, Acts 2, you know, 3,000 added, Acts 4, 5,000 added, Acts 9 and over growing numbers and, you know, Acts 11. Just read, It just numbers, numbers. It's, so one, we shouldn't be worried about that. But as I said, this is a pivot point. It's not just gonna be talking about addition and growth, but actually multiplication. And just to throw that in there, we, we don't just want to be a church that grows. We want to multiply, multiply services, multiply groups, multiply uh, locations, multiply churches. And, and you may think like, why would we ever want to do that? You know, there seems like there's a church building every corner, but it's not as good as you look. If you, if you look at, let me show you this right here. If you look at kind of the, the digression here, we go to the next slide. Here we go. Churches declining, plateauing, growing, reproducing. Just to, just to know, the, the bottom one is the preferred one. Right here, you can show these stats here. Declining or plateauing, 80% of churches are declining or plateauing. It's a big section. In fact, 4,000 churches this year will close their doors. This week, uh, instead of coming up and, and preaching a message like this, a pastor like me will walk up and say, hey, it's been a good run. 77 churches are doing that right now, and that happens every single week. Only 16% are actually adding people, and only 4%, that's minuscule, are actually reproducing themselves into new things. We want to be a reproducing church, and because there's just a big world that doesn't know Jesus, we want them to know the love of Jesus, and here's another thing too about reproducing. it. You may have never thought of that we all come from this church in Acts six. You see, we you, you can we can all trace ourselves back to Adam or Noah or however you do that, but we can all trace our spiritual life back to this church. We all come from this church. This is the first and only church, and we all we all are a very very distant church plant, mind you, of this church. And we want to have, we want to be the kind of you know like decade you know decades and centuries from now, people can look back and mean, man, this this church. Called Jubilee, they sacrificed and they sent out people. They sent out Nicanor and and, you know all these other guys. They sent them out and they and they they blessed us. And because they did that, because they reproduced, because they weren't just about themselves, they sacrificed and gave away. We're here and we want to be. We want to be in that lineage, which is why we're in the Book of Acts. So so it says so. There's there's growing. So there's this emphasis on making and, and expanding. But I just I just need to say this. They use the word disciple. That's why I had you underline that. It's gonna say it a few more times. It doesn't say church attendee. And they're not the same thing. It doesn't say, man, there's more and more people like plowing into the church building. It was saying there are more and more disciples. Now, disciples, uh, disciples are people who receive God's grace, obey his word, and are dependent on his spirit. And so when you become a Christian, you don't just, I mean, you receive, but you, you, you're, you're, you receive this new life. And the reason why you receive this new life is because there's this, you, you realize, you know what, I'm a terrible leader of my life, and I need to make a change. I need to stop trusting me. I need to repent is a word that means turn around. And I need to go in a different direction. And so you start this path, you start this path called um, discipleship. It's what it means to mean to be a follower, a learner. When Jesus said go and make disciples, he said go and make disciples, teaching them to, to follow me. And so there, so discipleship is way different than church attendance. And so I want to I want to just do something to help you. And I'm gonna show you there's two different cultures. And I just want you to, over the course of the next more, to figure out which one you, you see. So a discipleship culture is marked by humility, surrender, obe, I know it's a bad word, obedience and service. Now, I just get that from the life of Jesus and in particular Philippians 2. So you can read about that later and you can, you'll see all that there. Now, our culture it, it doesn't value humility. It values self-expression. I'm an important person. People need to affirm me. People need to like my post or I'm going to go in my room and cry. <laughs> self-expression, self-actualization. I need to achieve. I need purpose for my life. And we even say that as an appeal, like, hey, you know, you want purpose in your life? Follow Jesus. Uh, You know, I have tension about saying things like that, but it's true. But so it doesn't value I just want you to know this because you're going to have a difficult time being a a disciple if you don't. Anyway, the other thing it's characterized is Surrender. Surrender. So Jesus says things like this. So therefore, one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now, he doesn't say won't be a very good one. He says he cannot be one. So the surrender is like the prequalification for following Jesus. And we should be okay with that because the banner over Jesus's life was yielded, was surrender, right? So it says that, he did not consider equality with God something to grasp, so he, he humbled himself. But it says that um, he emptied himself. He surrendered. He said things like this, I only do what I see the Father doing. He was totally surrendered. Totally surrendered in all that he did. We, you know, we're into rights. This is my right. That's why we have horns in our car. You know, you, you, this is my lane. This is my Whatever. You know, you go to the bank, give me back my seven dollars and fifty-two cents. Like we have rights. I even saw I read this article this week that bothered me. It was on microaggression in the workplace. It wasn't it wasn't like here's some big atrocities, here's just microaggressions. And we have to do something about the we have because we have rights. People have to treat us a certain way. That's Discipleship of culture. Obedience. So again, this is Jesus, okay? He wasn't just obedient to the Father, but it says this about him. It says that he became obedient even unto death. Even death on a cross. We value choice. Well, if I decide. You see, sometimes we confuse obedience with agreeing. Obedience isn't agreeing obedience is doing something that you don't agree with. That's why it's called obedience. You guys are looking at me like I'm from Mars. So you haven't had kids yet. That's why you don't know what obedience is. When you ask a kid, a child, you should go to your room. They say, I don't want to. What you don't say is, I need to somehow convince this kid that I'm right. And until I convince this kid I'm right, then he will, and only then could he and should he obey or she. Obedience is you go to your room. Why? Because I said so. That's why. Because it's good for you. It's all, so we know that. And I would say, so how many times in a day... How many times, time, those of you who have 4-year-olds, 5-year-olds, 3-year-olds, how many times in a day do you think, would you reckon, that you ask your kid to do something that they don't want to do, but you know is right for them? I, re- I thought about this. I reckon it's at least three times a day. It could be way more. It's at least three. It's in the morning. It's, I, I'm trying to be nice to you guys. Don't say 100. It's going to get way worse here in a couple minutes. It's going to get a lot worse, so just stick with the low number. <laughs> Three times. A thousand times a year. And you're like, okay, I've got more education than you. I've got more experience than you. I kind of know how the world works. So we, 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 we are okay with telling our kids to do that because we see the gap between us and them. Now, just what do you think the gap is between you and God? Okay, God has eternal experience. I mean, I don't even know what kind of, how many you know, letters and numbers and degrees he has by, by his name, but there are a lot. <laughs> he put everything in existence. Do you, would, you, would you give me this? Will you give me this so I can make my next point and move on? Will you give me that the distance between us and God is greater than the distance between you and your kids? Who, who thinks that's true? Okay, thank you. So I would reckon a 1,000 times a year, God's gonna ask you to do something that you don't think you should do. Now let me ask you, how often do you do things only because God tells you to do things and not because he's wooed you and inspired you to do so? And you know what? That's just like little stuff. So if I was to take this analogy a little further, there's sometimes where I, I have some significant things I want my kids to do. I would want to almost say life-altering things. First of all, I mean, just going to school in the first place. That wasn't their idea. Here's how I define discipleship. Discipleship is your next step of obedience. You are a disciple until until to the degree that you're willing to say yes to that next step of obedience. And now that, that, that puts us all, that makes us all the same and it makes us different at the same time because there's different levels of maturity in this room. So what God's gonna ask you to do is different than what he's asking me to do and her and she and all that. I mean, even take the life of Peter. For example, when Peter, when God first called Peter, he just, all he asked him to do was to take his nets and fish on the other side of the boat which he didn't want to do, by the way. I don't know if you read that story. He's like, hey, wait a minute. I'm a fisherman. I fish for a living. You read the Torah for a living. I think I know what we're doing. I think I know what I'm doing. But this is what he says, because you say so, he did it. Now, that led to him preaching the gospel at the cost of his life. That was one step of obedience. That's different than fishing on the other side of a pope, right? Right? So we all have different steps to take. So it's discipleship is not a, a program. It's not, a, it's not like I did that once. It's an ongoing pursuit until you become exactly like Jesus. Who here is exactly like Jesus? Okay, so we're all in the same boat. The other thing, too, is like it also means that it's the same for you and I. So the person who just became a Christian today has the same challenge that I do which is to do things that God's asking me to do that I don't think I want to or don't think I can. I don't have the time, I don't have the ability, I don't have the skill, I don't have the resource. We're all on the same page, yet even though there are different challenges. What is your next step of obedience? What is it that you, that God is asking you to do that is beyond you, that's not for you, And it's gonna require a resource that you don't have. Discipleship is saying yes to that and exercising that faith and doing it anyway. Jesus says in John 13, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Obedience is huge. And then it leads to a life of service, not just doing the things you want, but it leads you to a life of service. That's what Jesus did. He, he, he started washing feet. You know, Stephen in this passage, he, he didn't like, hey, my, I'm, a, I'm a gifted leader and a theologian. You know, I'm not gonna serve tables. Give me something that, like, that I'm interested in and that I'm passionate about that suits my gifts. He just filled the need. So we want, I mean, it is important to find a place of skill and a place of passion, but man, can I just press on you to find a place of need and do it? Not because you love it and not because you're really good at it, just because you see that it's a need. I mean, I remember my first leadership role. I was in charge, 20 years ago, um, I was in charge of decoration at a square dance, right? uh, I'm not passionate about square dances. In fact, I say I'm passionate about not square dancing. (laughs) Secondly, I have no skill in decoration, but it was a need. Now, It was redemptive because it was the first time I danced with my wife. And uh, yeah, I know. So all things do work together for good for those (laughs) who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so that's what it called, that's what proof texting is called. It's called using the Bible to your advantage. You shouldn't do that. So anyway, so one is that they, 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 it was they made disciples. Secondly, they prioritized word and prayer. And it says this in verse two, and the 12, I'm going to have to hurry up. And the 12 summoned the full number of disciples and said, see that word, disciple again, and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God and serving tables. That sounds defensive. Somebody must have suggested that, it, that they should do that. Because they say, wait a minute, it's not right that we should do that. So someone must have said, you guys should do that. The the you know the leader should do that you know the the, the you know you know we, we, you know what are we paying you for like what do you you guys should do that so in the, the apostles eyes in their eyes it's the threat here to the church is that if they were to push aside the ministry of word and prayer for waiting on tables now they were they they were intention because it was a legitimate need and it was an important need and, and serving the poor was. It, Incredibly important. But what they did here is they were they're helping us to see the central importance that we need to have as a church on word and prayer ministry. Absolute Christian. You see, Jesus said this. He didn't say this about the church, he said it about life. Man should not live on bread alone, but every word from the mouth of God. We need to be dependent on prayer, because in the psalmist says, unless the Lord builds the house. All this is all that we're doing here is in vain. And so we're we're contending for God to do something something outside of our building. So we ability, so we need God to, so we need to be committed to the word of God in prayer ministry. That is why we do three basic things, and in those basic things, we do the two things. So Sundays we gather to worship and to hear God's word and then to receive prayer ministry. Based on what God's calling us to do, because we are disciples, right? And we are consistently being asked to do things that we don't think we can do. So we need to be dependent and say, "I don't know how this is going to happen. I need prayer." And so there are people who want to pray for you today. So don't. So you got prayer and worship, and then you know you just before the lights, you know, get go back up. You get no, man. There's some things that need to happen in your life, possibly. And then, so, so we word prayer there. Secondly, then we have community groups where we gather to, guess what, further discuss that word and to really tease out how that might specifically apply in my life. And I'm gonna help you see how that ex- specifically applies in your life because this discipleship thing is not a son me and Jesus thing. It's a, it's a me, it's a we and Jesus thing. And then guess what? We, we pray for each other in groups. We're in prayer. And then we have actual prayer meetings. I don't know if you or that. We have actual prayer meetings. They uh, gather here in, in the city once a week on Tuesday mornings at six in the morning. And we gather every couple of months to have a night of prayer. And we pray the promises of God. And guess where we find those promises of God? You'll never guess. You should be able to guess. Somebody please answer the question. The word of of God. The Bible, Word of God. We'll take both. The Word of God. We pray the promises in the Word of God. The Word of God and prayer. Central to the church. I have a question for you. Are you, are you, are you, because the church is people. I'm not the church. Church is an organization. It's not a building. It's us. We we are. Are you as an individual? Are you devoted? To the word in prayer. Stephen is gonna preach the longest recorded sermon in the Bible. Now, where'd he get that? Where did get that from? Well, one, he was he was the kind of guy who released the other guys so that they could devote themselves to teaching, and there's plenty of people here who do that. I mean, we even have a we have a we developed a role recently called a, a service manager. His name's John Farn today, he's running around here doing something. And he's making sure everything's okay. So poor Dylan was running around doing all kinds of stuff, trying to get things to work right. Um, and he's have this tension between making sure the practical needs are being met. But also he needs to be able to, to minister you know, publicly, but also privately in prayer and all that. He's got, so guys release him to do that, release us to do that. But also he had to do it for himself. So they they were committed to the Word of Prayer. And then then thirdly, we see that they prioritize empowering leaders. Empowering leaders. Therefore, brothers, he says in verse 3, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer, the ministry of the Word. See, there you go. In verse 5, it says, and check this out. Oh, my goodness. And what they said, here's what you need to underline this phrase. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. Another translation says, and everyone liked the idea. Now, there's some pretty unbelievable miracles in the Bible. There's the parting of the Red Sea. There's the feeding of the 5,000. There's lame men who walk. But everybody liking an idea is just, I just don't know that I can believe the Bible anymore. I don't know. Like, that just seems extreme. But that's what happened. And then they set these guys into ministry and prayed for them, laid hands on them, and the pro- more problems, call- more people, more problems is a need for more leaders. And we give this big, broad appeal. Like, we want, man, we wanna reach St. Louis, the world. And so we want all different kinds of people to come in, which means that the, the appeal for leaders is broad too. Has to be. It is a central need. It was, they saw this as a central characteristic as a multiplying movement, and I just want you to know. Just to encourage you again that Jesus saw this as central as well. There's a time where He's ministering, and and uh, he um, he he's praying for people and healing people, and then he kind of like wipes his sweat off his brow. He looks up at, and he's like, "Oh my gosh, there's a sea of need." And he didn't say, "Hey boys, we got to get busy." He said this. He said, "The harvest is plentiful." Find this in Matthew nine. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray, therefore, to the Lord of the harvest, to send laborers into the field. If you care about the church, you will see as a central need: we need more leaders. We need more leaders. This is critical. This is central. This is a priority. We need. More leaders, and then you'll you'll feel that tension. You'll see the potential, and you'll feel the tension for more leaders, and you'll see that it's outside of our ability, and you'll it'll propel you to give that to give that need to prayer, and you'll say, God, will you please send more laborers in the harvest field? So you'll pray, and then secondly, you'll be willing to be the answer to your own prayer. You know, be like Isaiah: Here I am, here I am. Send me what so Jesus did. Jesus spent his time empowering leaders. If you go through the, the events of Jesus, 73% of his time was with the 12. 27% of his time was ministering to the crowds. Three to one ratio. Empowering other people. We want to empower other people. I want to encourage you that to step into a leadership role. If you, I mean, if you just like, you know, maybe if I was in Mars and, you know, like whatever, like if you ever just to put yourself out there and I don't have the time, I don't have the money, I don't have this, I don't have the resource, I don't have the... T- Man, just put yourself forward and see what God will do. We have a massive needs in our church. Biggest need for sure is community group. Um, we have 520 community group members. Ideally, we'd have 52 groups, 10 people in, in each group. It's a great number for a community group for the kind of things that we want to get done in the group. Plus, it's an easy number for math. And then... Um, so if we, did, we need 52 groups, we only have 39, just to meet the current needs, to meet the current need of every group and have a little bit of room for growth. We, we don't, we're, we're short. And we're, we, we should have 104 leaders. We only have 77. And then we, because we want to be a reproducing church, we, should, we would ideally have 104 apprentices, we have, which means someone waiting in the wings to lead a group. We have 21 of those. And that's just to meet the current needs. We have 900 adults floating around the Jubilee universe. We will see them brought into community. That means like, what is that? Not, see, easy math. 90 community groups and 180 leaders. And we want to see them release. Church life will get messy, but that's okay. And different kinds of leaders, different kinds of gifts, some are going to be more pastoral. Some will be more administrative, and we need them both. Full of, full of the spirit, you know. People who can preach, prophesy, and pastor, and people full of wisdom. People who like excel charts and, you know, things like that, and to organize and keep us together. We need both. And then um, the last thing we see here is they have a flexible structure. They have a flexible structure. They didn't get tied into a le- the leadership structure change and everything that they did change. It was all centered around not what the preferences, but that it was centered around the mission that God had called them to, to make disciples, teaching them to obey all that he commanded to. And so it starts with the mission was going well, there's a problem, They've, they're flexible with their structure, and then the mission continues. And we want to be flexible, you know, we want to be flexible with service times and, you know, you know, multiple services, multiple locations, one big gathering, and, you know, the room's this color, the room's that color, and, you know, just all these kinds of things. So the way we do things, the it's like we don't want to get tied to that. We want to be flexible and put at the center the mission of God. You know, when I coach the, uh, you know, our leaders here and, and other pastors at other places, The thing I always say, I say I've got good news and bad news for you guys. The people at your church right now love your church. I've got some bad news though. The bad news is that the people at your church love your church. Because the reason why that's bad news is if you, in order to grow and multiply, you're gonna have to change it. And although they love, and because they love the way you do things, they could potentially get attached to the way that you do things, not the what or the why you do things. And so we always wanna be a people that, that focus in, not on how we do things. So I, I'm great that people come in here and say, oh, I love how they do kids ministry. Oh, I love your worship. Oh, I love this. I love the, whatever it is. I, that's all fine. But ultimately, it's gotta be about what we do and why we do it, because the how is gonna change all the time if we to stay on the mission of God. If we don't stay on the mission of God, we'll, we'll become a statistic, we'll be on the 80%. And I'll give speeches about, hey, it's been a great run. But, and, but we wanna be about the mission of God, which means we're just gonna change things. And we have to be okay with that. And what's gonna happen, and, you know, all things are gonna be turned around, the leadership structure is gonna change. New leaders are gonna leapfrog current leaders. It has to happen. So, we, I don't want to get overly tied to my role. And if you're a leader in, in the church, like not getting overly tied to your role, because it's not about you. Because someone, if we're going to be a growing, a, a new leader, someone who may become a Christian today may leapfrog an existing leader. It happened in the Bible. Stephen, you know, where is Stephen and Philip? They show up on the scene and they start to take the center stage. And then guys like Saul come around, and Paul, Barnabas went and got Saul. And maybe the, the earlier guys who started this thing, like, hey, Paul, where were you when we started this thing? Oh, I was murdering you. And then, like, we, and then they, but there was a switch that happened, and, and Paul took the center stage. And guys are going to leap. Guys are going to leap, and, and that, we have to be okay with that. Things are going to change, things are going to adjust. But we'll be on mission together. That's what's important. So what, here's the, here, I want to leave you with two questions. They're challenging questions, I just want to prepare you. Can we have that next slide? No, not that one. I missed that verse. Okay, which culture do you feel like your life more represents? You don't have to say it out loud. Would you say, you know what, my life, the banner over my life is humility, surrender, obedience, service? Or would you say the things I really, at the end of the day, I want self-expression, rights, choice, and convenience? If you... These aren't bad. I mean, I love convenience. I love convenience. I love drive throughs I love <laughs> cup holders and heated seats. I love those things. I love choice. I like my you know, I love I like these things too. I want like my Facebook page, please. Um, <laughs> however, this is I need for me to be a disciple. I have to I have to, my life has to represent that. And I just want, are you are you a disciple, or are you a churchgoer? Are you living for that next step of obedience, which will acquire faith, and probably don't, won't directly benefit you in the short term? Do you even have someone in your life who's asking you these questions, personally, and not just me from a stage? Because if you don't have someone in your life personally who's asking these questions, you're probably not a disciple because you want these things. And people who ask these questions don't let you have these things. Are you a disciple? In, inevitably, the path of discipleship will lead many, if not all of you, to step forward in some kind of leadership role. It's statistically inevitable in a church that grows and multiplies, and we want to be that church. There may be some of you who have kind of like, oh, I think God wanted me to do that, but ah, I'm too busy right now, or I don't have the time, or, I don't have the resource, and I got this going on, and what if this, and this, and all that, and people won't, uh or you just find out that you know, sheep aren't nice. <laughs> they run away, they bite. You know, they do all kinds of things, and you just didn't like that. There are dozens of away. I mean, leading a group, area service, started a new ministry. We've got, I mean, people starting new ministries. Mindy summers from the lake started a ministry called So Love to serve those in the sex industry. Ellie San Zero had a paid role on staff, you know, leading our J kids. She laid that down to take on a volunteer role to um, serve kids with special needs. We gather people starting ministries, going out into the community and starting new needs, and, you know, Blessing has done that, and other women and men have done that, just starting new things. Taking on something existing, starting something new. I want to close with this, this thought as we as you consider those questions. There is it's really easy to think about our lives, you know, we're going to leave here today and you know, grab a kids, grab some coffee, grab something, grab and we're going to leave here and there's an entire world of people out there who have yet to hear the gospel who have an eternity not like yours, and the needs are massive.